This is another episode of On the Grid by Z Prime. Love your energy. I'm Erin Hardick, Lead Research Analyst at Z Prime. I'm here with Gretchen Stewart, HPC and Data Analytics Lead at Intel. Thank you for joining me today, Gretchen. Thank you very much. I'm delighted to be here. As I remember, your first question was like, what are some books you're reading and some of those kinds of things? And um, I'm in the middle of AI superpowers. Um, it's really about the United States and China and who's who's doing what. Um, and in some cases, it's a little scary. <laughs> in other cases, it's really interesting to see how things are evolving really quickly, and yet how artificial intelligence and many of the math equations really have been around for a long time, and what people are doing in terms of evolving them, maybe taking a Nash game theory and leveraging that with um, a nearest neighbor kind of algorithm or something like that, and how they combine them all together. And then the other kind of fun book I'm reading is called Sea Women, and I'm only on page two, so I can't really tell you if it's good or bad. <laughs> really just, just started just it. Just started, exactly. I actually exactly. signed up for this online work class, uh, workshop yesterday that was put on by this organization based in New York called AI for Everyone in partnership with the Mark Cuban Foundation. Oh, and I saw that on LinkedIn, and I was thinking yeah. I might just listen in and see what that's what's, what that's all about. It was a 60-minute workshop. Um, mm -hmm. It was really interesting. I have read a few books on artificial intelligence, and I know that the objective of the workshop is to really teach people who don't have you know, any idea of what Got AI it. is. Got and I it. thought it did a really good job at doing that. So if you're like a really a first a newcomer to the space, I thought it was really helpful and I actually really enjoyed it. And they send out a replay and they send out additional resources around how to learn about AI. And they actually have kind of like this curriculum that teachers and students can download. And Oh, very more. cool. Very so it's cool. interesting that you're reading about it. I've the other book that I've read about artificial intelligence um, is *The Sentient Machine* by Amir Hussein, who is an Austin-based author. And that okay. was actually the first book I read, um, and it just kind of talks about the different forms of artificial intelligence and how it can be applied in things like yeah. war warfare, healthcare, energy, um, exactly, a variety of different things. Yeah, I think when I first I first got really interested in understanding more about it was I read an article in Scientific America, and this was three or four years ago, I'm sure, um, that talked about the fact that because of what companies like Intel have done in terms of the kind of compute power that you have and the storage and the network capabilities that you can combine data sets that you'd never thought about combining in the past. So this particular article was about um, being able to predict earthquakes, which everybody says they can do and they really can't. But they talked about the fact that they have all of this historic data. They also have auditory data of what it sounds like when, when the earth is moving before and after an earthquake. They also have lab data in terms of them trying to do some modeling themselves and then some of the you know unstructured kind of stuff in terms of the predicting or that people might have done through a Twitter or Facebook or whatever where they heard something or felt something that they can combine all of those in a way that they've never been able to do before because you've got the 
compute capabilities. So you can take all of these different data sets and you can combine them and they really do think that within the next three to four years, they're going to be able to much more accurately predict earthquakes. And it's wow. really based on artificial intelligence. And a lot of it is predictive analytics and that's stuff that's been around a long time. So it's not as if all of a sudden somebody came up with this really brilliant algorithm. Um, and yes, people are adapting and coming up with new ones. Um, one that a lot of people use today is called TensorFlow and that's from Google. And it's got some connections to things that have been written about in the past, but it was really some research that a number of folks from Google did. And I think it was about 2014 when they came out with that particular um, new algorithm that a lot of people are using. And it's a framework that a lot of folks um, build on today. I think that's one of the main messages of AI for everyone is that this has been happening, whether or not we know it. And it's right. how do we kind of just educate people about things that have already been happening? Because it's hopefully a little bit less scary, you know, with this idea that it's mm -hmm. not that everything is super new. Um, right. There have been folks that have been working with this and they kind of know how to use this information and use these exactly. algorithms. And it's just applying it to different scenarios to do different things. Yesterday, they talked about how Carnegie Mellon has this um, algorithm, I guess, that they typically use during the seasonal flu to determine hmm. where outbreaks are going to be and who is at um, the highest risk to have the most severe symptoms. And they're trying to alter that currently to do the same thing with COVID. Around COVID. Yep. Yep. That's pretty cool. That's very cool. Yeah. Okay, so enough about what we've read. You <laughs> recently wrote an article um, yes. that you published on LinkedIn, and then we also published in our special contributor series. Thank you for that. Oh, but thank it was you. Uh, around um, continuing to learn while feeling uncomfortable. And a lot of us have definitely been feeling you know, uncomfortable given mm. the situation that we're in. Our lives have been drastically altered and Absolutely. different patterns. We do different things throughout the day and we have relationships that have changed and have become a lot more virtual. And a lot of people have had a lot less social interaction, which is you know, a big stimulant and a source of joy for a lot of folks. Yeah. What prompted you to write that article? Oh, thank you. So I've been working in the public sector um, and in technology for probably 15 or so years. And as part of that, I got involved with an organization called FCS. And it is a place where academia, government, and um, industry really come together to help solve really hard problems. It's a bit about relationship building. It's a bit about, hey, we're looking at the advanced battle management space. What do you think we need to do? And so I happen to be, I know this is a long-winded answer, but I happen to be the president of the local chapter here. And I think most people think of me as pretty much, hey, I'm a math person. Here's what we need to talk about. Here's the agenda. I'm all business, all that kind of stuff. And so I thought, you know, people need to really understand that there's more to me than just kind of that side, but that tends to be what I bring first. And so I decided that I was going to be vulnerable and share some things about my personality and just some uncomfortable things that had happened in the past and that kind of stuff. And it fell flat. I mean, 
no response on the other end. Some people's faces were just like, what do I do? So I was like, okay, you know, I tried. Again, I will continue to try, but it, it, it made me think, okay, so one, why did I feel like I needed to do that? And two, why did I feel even worse after I got the response I got? And it all led me back to all the things that I read about the brain and, you know, the fact that we really, the, the brain, we use 10 to 12% of it. So there's lots of it there for us to continue to um, massage and it's flexible and it's adaptable. And it reminded me that, hey, you know, there's this thing called neuroplasty and it's the, the ability to, to take and repattern and find new neural pathways. And that that's one of those things I like to do. So kind of putting myself out there was again, an uncomfortable thing, but it was something that I am trying to learn how to do better. And, and we can do that at any age. And that your brain can reframe things. It really has the ability to be agile. Um, and there have been a number of people who've done studies in the last four or five years about mindfulness and about having a growth mindset. And that's a part of what you need to do to keep your brain learning. And, um, and then the other thing, which is incredibly hard for me, is to really take a moment to be calm and be simple and, and, and try not to be thinking about everything because again, that reduces cortisol, that then adds some more um, flaps and spaces in your brain to again, be able to help you learn more. So it was sort of a weird way for me to get back to the brain, but it was, you know, kind of how it happened. <laughs> Well, I really enjoyed it. And I liked that you did tie it back to your fascination with, you know, studying the brain. It kind of took your very personal life and yeah. drew a line back to your professional life. And I think even if you didn't get the response that you were hoping for, that you, you didn't see the response that you're hoping for, I'm sure a lot of people related to that or at least found comfort in knowing that there is science behind why we feel the way we do feel. And yep. so I, you know, I really enjoyed it from, from that perspective. Yeah. And I think being where we are right now in COVID and, and for some people, um, it, it is, like you said, it, it's taking people away from, Hey, I always would see somebody at the water fountain or I, I would have a chat with the cashier or I'd talk with somebody in the aisle at the grocery store, whatever. But it's all of those kinds of things. Again, just was trying to, Hey, you know, it didn't work, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to continue to try. So let's talk about the grid. Let's talk about <laughs> energy and electricity. Yes. This, the pandemic has definitely caused stress on the grid, really highlighted its fragility in certain areas. Yeah. Businesses aren't consuming as much electricity given, you know, they're shut down, reduced hours. More people are at home, so residential load is increasing, not enough to offset the lack of load from um, the commercial and industrial side. And so it's really putting the grid under a lot of stress, these drastic changes in such a short amount of time. Yep. So my question for you is how can we use technology like artificial intelligence and machine learning to keep the grid up and running right now? Yeah, you know, the timing of this is really interesting because I had a conversation earlier today with um, another data scientist 
much more skilled than I am at Intel. And we were talking about the fact that, again, back to the brain, the brain really, with its multiple pathways and abilities to be able to solve problems, it's almost a little like the grid. You know, you think about it, there are multiple ways to be able to access, whether it be traditional electricity or something that's done through wind or solar or whatever, and that maybe right now leveraging um, artificial intelligence to take even some of the old, the, the data that's been around for quite some time in terms of just usage models. And this pandemic, while it is not what we've all expected, it's definitely something that we could have predicted. And so taking the time now to take those multiple data sets that, that have been just kind of, I'll say, sitting there. I mean, I know they haven't really, but you know what I mean? That you can take those kind of data sets and maybe even potentially overlay them with something like COVID or maybe even leverage climate data where you then are thinking about, okay, there is this pandemic. And oh, by the way, not that long ago, there was a tornado in, in I think it was Mississippi. And that all of those are, are right now happening at the same time, but could be. And so maybe the right answer is to look at those kind of data sets and really start to be more predictive and through that be able to then leverage, okay, we need to be storing more data in certain areas because of this kind of influx that's going to happen. And are there things that we need to do? And right now, are there potentially ways that we can increase the the grid to be able to help with the residents but use that as time potentially to fix some of the issues that we have for businesses you know that okay let's use this as maybe an infrastructure time where we could maybe make some of those changes where everybody is residential okay well that means we're not doing so much on the business side so are there things that we could be doing to improve the grid for the businesses when that comes back online do you think that this pandemic will actually accelerate some of those changes or move people to action? Or maybe a better way to ask that question is, what do you think the longer term effects will be of the pandemic in terms of how we keep the grid resilient? Yeah, that's the $2.2 trillion question, right? Um, <laughs> so I, I think that I honestly, and I hate to say, and I am kind of an optimist anyway, but um, Robert Noyes, who was one of the founders of Intel, said that, you know, optimism is the engine for invention. And I really do think that the time that we're in, that people are really looking at this as an opportunity to think about things differently. So maybe you can combine all those data sets. Maybe you can also think about um, the fact that what we all have right now is a little bit more time because we're not traveling as much. And so maybe that time could be kind of a double-edged sword where it could be time for us to figure out how to correct some of the inequities between residential and business or even where those are, I'll call it um, economic kind of environmental racism in certain places in cities where it's not as good as it where it might be somewhere else, you know, maybe it gives us time to really reevaluate that. But I also think it's, it's gives people time to be able to figure out how to hack into the grid, mm -hmm. to be able to think about ways to 
bring some of the things down in addition, since people are so focused on COVID, to potentially um, do some things for bad, if you know what I mean. So they could be leveraging, because now people have more time. So I, I think it's, it's sort of, it's the good and the bad, but I really am optimistic that this is causing people to think about things differently. Um, but I also think it's really important that people have an, an ethics and kind of a, how do we bring everybody into the conversation discussion? Because a big part of artificial intelligence, um, you know, is the math part of it. So that's pretty black and white. It's either right or it's wrong. It's a zero or it's a one. Mm -hmm. But the flavor around it is that it's really about the predictability, which has a lot of gray. And I think that that's another thing that we re need to really think about is that you need people that have expertise in climate science and artificial intelligence, i.e. the math, who understand computer architecture, people who are anthropologists, people who have an understanding of what it is to be um, somebody on the ground trying to help people work through um, signing up for welfare. I mean, so that we need to pull a bigger group of people together to help solve some of these problems. And, and I think right now we have potentially have the ability to do that, which is pretty cool. And the humanities too, you have to start thinking about, you know, how, how are some of these, the gray area like you mentioned, like how can these decisions have effects and how do we start to think outside of just the, the math and the science of it right. and really right. bring in that, that human ele element right. that has sometimes been missing. Right. And I think the, the facts and the science are really important, but in the end, I mean, pe thousands of people are dying. I mean, so mm -hmm. there's a bunch of things that we need to think about and that um, the, while it doesn't mean to be, there's definitely things within the grid that are um, not fair. There are, you know, people in places that have a lot more access than people in places elsewhere. And, and it's, I don't think it's really designed in a, you know, mean spirited sort of a way. I just think it's kind of evolved that way and that we need to really evaluate how we move more fluidly in the grid perspective from areas where maybe there's a lot more better infrastructure than areas where there aren't and how do we correct that and then think about the population and where the population is also moving to which is some of what you can see within covid in terms of where there are more issues where there's more population so again i think that there's an i don't have the answers you know as even i said you know all the way back to that article i don't have the answers but i'm definitely feeling okay with hey we live in an uncomfortable world and we really all need to, we're in this together. Well, we're certainly living in a defining period of history. You know, we'll look back at this as the time, like as COVID-19 time, as mm -hmm. that time and it'll definitely spark change, good and bad. And we'll mm -hmm. just kind of have to see how that plays out as we move forward. Yeah, I think so. And I think it honestly, it might be a time when, again, thinking about about the grid and, and that much more today is, you know, being used residentially, is there an opportunity for those folks, you know, that are leveraging um, or thinking, I should say, thinking about the business side, 
um, or the business is, is there a way to take some really good hackers and maybe aim them at that part of the grid that's not being used as much right now, you know, and see if they can break into it and then create um, analytics and whether they be predictive or even some form of artificial intelligence that they then know, oh, okay, um, that's a virus. So think about it like, like COVID, we're, we're introducing a virus into a part of the grid and how do we then say, oh, that is a virus. We are gonna move that and compartmentalize and get it completely out of the system so that the system can keep running. So maybe that's something that, you know, the people that ha have that part of the grid today might think about doing because it's not being used as much. So if they do take a part of it down, it's probably not as major. It really does Maybe. tie back to, yeah, it really does tie back to your article, but how do we continue learning when we're <laughs> uncomfortable? How, how can we learn <laughs> right. with the grid, even though there's a, a lot of things going on, a lot of challenges facing the grid, we can still keep learning. Yep. So I want to transition yep. into something a bit lighter so we can end on a higher note. And I need <laughs> sure. to, I need to sneak a question in here because our co-founder, Mark Ishawk, just told me I had to ask you this question. Sure. He wanted to know what industry you've always been interested in, but you've never had a chance to really get into. Oh, that's really, well, you know, I think I'd have to go back to when I was a kid. When I, when I was 10 or 12 years old, I knew I wanted to be a doctor. Um, and I knew that I specifically wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon and I wanted my dream job was to work for the New York Giants. So while I don't know that that's what I want to do now, I think that if I had the ability to go back and I, I minored in everything that you needed to chemistry, organic chem, biology, et cetera, so that I could take the MCATs and go to medical school, which I didn't do. Um, so I think that's probably the one of the industries that I would be really excited to do. And I think the second, not that you asked for a second, is, um, is quantum physics. It's just, it's so amazing to me um, what, what can be done and what can't be done, if you know what I mean. And just mm -hmm. being able to think about things so far out is kind of cool. And, and that, that's what you do for your job. Or that's what you do for your life. You just think about things like, what what is quantum physics going to look like? Can we build something like that? Would we ever be able to use it in a way that makes it valuable? I I actually <laughs> think about this question. You know, I for a long time I didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't know. Like, I'm not I, sure I, I still do, honestly. <laughs> but you know, and for a while in college, I thought that I wanted to be. <laughs> this catches people off guard quite often. I thought I wanted to be an investment banker because I wow. was really fascinated by the idea of being able to find something, find an area that needed help that needed resources mm -hmm. and I thought that through investment banking I would be able to have a bigger impact on certain things whether that be finding money for startups that are pursuing um, areas that I was interested in around sustainability or healthcare mm -hmm. um, social equity but uh, now I'm more in media and marketing but it's kind of funny <laughs> to, to think about 
about how some of these things come to fruition because I, I do think that now I, I still am kind of following that path, like trying to encourage the exchange of information to help some of these mm-hmm. causes. So yes. it, 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 it comes about, it's like we pursue our passions in different ways than maybe we originally expected, but it's still always kind of that underlying theme. Yeah, and I think what um, I've done, you know, tons of those, you know, strength finder or taken the Myers-Briggs so many times and it's always the same. So I guess that means I'm never going to learn or change. No, I'm kidding. But um, I've always wanted to learn. So I always read things and I'm always fascinated by, um, you know, how things work, you know, or even how bread rises, you know, it just, you know, I think that um, in the end, the brain is a pretty fascinating thing and we do not use as much of ours as we have and the more I learn about it the more I realize that I don't know and also that there's a lot of things we can learn from the brain and apply to not only artificial intelligence but literally like the grid it's neural pathways it's different but it's similar so you know maybe there are things you could learn from one to connect to the other so Gretchen I feel like everybody's watched a lot of videos and watching a lot of online conferences. So to kind of mix it up, do you have somebody, a peer, a coworker, a family member, a friend you haven't seen in a long time that you want to give a virtual high five or virtual hug to? Oh, that's so nice. You know, I, I am just, I don't want to say I'm a sap, but um, back to the wanting to be a medical doctor. I mean, I would love to give a giant hug and a big high five to the people that are on the front lines. I mean, mm-hmm. like, it's going to make me cry. The work that they're doing is pretty incredible. Yeah, I, um, <laughs> I agree with you. It is emotional. I know, I personally know a lot of people um, who have been too. working and just the mental and emotional yep. and physical stress that they're under. It's, it's truly amazing how these people can continue to get up every day and go to work and know <laughs> at this point, they know what they're facing and they know right. what right. they're going to have to go through, but they do it anyways. They make that sacrifice for all of us yep. and they yeah. continue to do it. So it really is beautiful. And thank you for bringing that up. And <laughs> You're welcome. I do want to end on one last thing. And that sure. is, do you have a mantra? Do you have a quote? Do you have something that, you know, you kind of live by or something that you think about? I would say one that I really like <laughs> is from um, Arthur Ashe. And it is, from what you get, you can make a living. What you give, however, you can make a life. So do you have? Oh, I like that. I lo- um, I like the Maya Angelou, the one that people are not going to remember what you you say, but how you treat them. And I know I'm mm-hmm. getting that wrong, but I really do like that one. And I also really like um, Susan B. Anthony, when uh, women were getting the right to vote. Feel like I need to say that since it's been a hundred years. This is our you know hundredth year of women having the right to vote. Um, she always said, "Failure is impossible." And I think that's just very relevant right now, too, yeah. given everything that's <laughs> exactly. going on. Well, thank you so much for You're taking welcome. the time to chat with me. I really enjoyed it. I learned a lot. And I know that our audience will as well. You always have really valuable things to say. And you bring oh, a fresh perspective to our energy audience, given your you know, technology background. And so thank you. Thank you for yeah, sharing. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. And I think, honestly, um, you know, 
the Grid Connect thing reminded me a lot of AFCEA in terms of where you are bringing in academia, industry people, and government people. And I think that those, and Grid Connect is an awesome example of that, and that you really do need to do that. And you need people with the different perspectives and different learnings to really come up with, with some good answers. Thank you. You're welcome. I mean, I didn't even get into like the, you know, the technology piece, but, you know, Intel has in their lab something that that is um, it is a neuromorphic processor so basically it is we're building a processor to to be a brain and it has over two billion transistors basically on it and it's literally the size of a normal computer chip and it is pretty amazing and we're working with a company called applied brain research and this came okay. out of research from the University of Waterloo. So it's Canada, but um, uh, basically, so we're designing the processor, but you need an operating system and a language to be able to talk to it, to take advantage of it. And the applied brain research is basically writing the software um, and it's designing it like a brain. So it has the hypothalamus and the, you know, the medulla i mean it's really thinking about it in terms of what each part of your brain does and what's really fascinating to me and i'll send you the um ted talk from dr uh chris elias smith i'm honestly reading his book it's called how to build a brain and it and it is so he was he is i should say um a neurobiologist by training so a phd in neurobiology and then as he started to learn more about computer science um, he ended up going back to school and got a PhD in computer science and really is trying to marry the two in terms of how you can, I mean, never replace people, but how you really can leverage all of those thinking synapses and different neural pathways in a processor to be able to, you know, help make our lives better. So it's really very interesting and fascinating. Yeah, I would love, I would love to see that. I will actually let you you. go this time. (laughs) All right, bye. Thank you. Bye.